Acts for you. We're planning, uh, well, we're actually preaching through the book of Acts uh, in preparation for a church plant team that we're planning to send out later this year. Actually, our sister church in St. Charles County uh, is sending a team out. We've been looking at the book of Acts throughout the year. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've been talking about how God uh, started the church, what the purpose of the church is, what the history of the early church was, all the stuff that they had to deal with. Uh, as they were going out and carrying out this mission into the world and some of the characters that uh, we encounter in this story. One of the guys we've been looking at a lot last few weeks is a guy named Paul, who you have all heard about, a guy known as the Apostle Paul. He didn't start out as the Apostle Paul. In fact, he started out as an opponent to Christianity until Jesus came down from heaven and beat him up and knocked him off his donkey and, and gave him a new purpose in life. And then you see all this this crazy stuff that happens throughout Paul's life. Uh, and a lot of it, guys, just involves suffering. Like, a lot of times I think when people come into a relationship with God, I don't know about you guys, but I was very, very, very lost uh, for a long period of time in my life. And when I started thinking about uh, getting right with God and getting back into relationship with God, I really wasn't thinking beyond myself. To be perfectly honest, my wife was such a wreck. I was so addicted to drugs. I was so depressed. I so just didn't feel like I had anything to look forward to in life that I didn't want to live. And so when I initially came to God, it was just because I was thinking about me. I just wanted to, my life to be right. I wanted uh, to have some kind of purpose. I wanted some kind of future. I wasn't thinking about everybody else. But then when you come into relationship with God, part of becoming the person that God created you to be is that you become like Jesus more and more as you live in life. And guys, was Jesus, when he went through life, was Jesus just thinking about himself all the time? You, you, you guys don't sound convinced. Are you sure? Okay. Was Jesus thinking about himself all the time? No. He was selfless. He was thinking about others all the time. And what you see in the Bible is when people come into contact with God and they have an authentic relationship with Jesus, they may start out thinking about themselves because that's where they are and God meets us where we are. But once you get into relationship with him and you start to grow in your relationship with him and you start to become more like Jesus, guess who over time you start to think less about? Yourself. Because you start thinking like Jesus thinks. Now, Paul is a guy, when we read about him in the book of Acts, he's been walking with Jesus for a long time at this point, years at this point, okay? He's getting to be an older man toward the end of Acts as he moves toward the end of his life. But one of the things that we see in Paul's life as he is constantly, constantly thinking about others and thinking about the mission of God, even when he's in a situation where I think any of us would struggle with not just thinking about ourselves. And I'm talking like Paul is thinking about others while he's in chains and can't leave. Paul is thinking about others while he's in jail unjustly. All he'd have to do to get out of jail is stop t talking about Jesus, but he's not going to do that. And, and, and while he's in jail, guys, while he's in jail, guess what he's trying to do? He's trying to persuade the soldiers that are chained to him to follow Jesus, okay? Guys, there's this thing in American Christianity where I feel like Satan has gotten into just the popular thinking and ethos 
where, where Christianity, for a lot of you guys, especially if you come out of a religious background, your Christianity has just been about you. And I'm not saying that for any other reason than when I look in Scripture and I see the values that these guys have in the New Testament and compare that to the values that's at the church at large in the United States, it doesn't jive. It doesn't line up. Because I see guys that are so committed to this mission because they are willing to sacrifice personal comfort. They're willing to sacrifice everything to make sure that some know Jesus as, as best they can. It's not just about them. We see that part of being in God's kingdom over and over in the book of Acts involves taking heat from the world. Now, when I say the world, that's one of those... Um, Concepts that shows up in scripture a lot that uh, we can kind of lose, it can lose its meaning. When I say the world or when the Bible says the world, it's specifically talking about those outside of a relationship with God. It's talking about uh, the popular culture that's out there that does not value honoring God. Now, there is a large contingent, most of the world, guys, does not believe what we believe about God. Most of the world uh, either does not believe there is a God at all, or they believe that if there is a God, it's not this Christian God, it's something else. There's not an alignment on truth, there's not an alignment on values. Guys, this matters because wherever there's different understandings of truth and different understandings of who God is, there is inevitably going to be conflict have you guys been watching the news? You know what's going on in the world right now. We are on the verge of World War III with, with a lot of the stuff that's going on. We could, it could have already started. And I'm not saying that to be alarming. I'm just saying we're, we're met, there's some stuff going on in the world right now. Major conflicts. Do you know what is at the base of that conflict? Different beliefs about who God is and what God wants. That is what is driving the conflict in the world right now, is different beliefs about God. Where you have different beliefs about God, and what is true and what is false, and what is right and what is wrong, you are inevitably going to have conflict. And when you, we have a God, when we serve a God who says, this is how you should relate to other humans. This is what is good. This is what is evil. He lays it out for us and says, I need you to take a stand on these things because this is truth. By the way, when I say it, it's true. That's, that's God, right? That's our understanding. But then you have other people that come and say, no, that, that God didn't say that. Or they say, no, 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 there is no God. You need to listen to this over here. Guys, that is the conflict with the world. If we're faithful, if we believe in God and are faithful, we are inevitably going to have conflict with the world. There's no way around it. See, by in here, avoid conflict. You're a people pleaser. You don't ever want anybody to be mad at you. You want everybody to be happy all the time. You can't be a Christian. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. You can't be a Christian and be like that. Because that's not what Jesus was like. Guys, Jesus, did Jesus ever go out of his way to be mean to people or to make people mad at him? No, it just sort of happened, right? He wasn't like trying to start riots. And it, 
Neither was Paul. But guys, just simply taking a stand for truth is going to lead to conflict. Guys, leading up, we're going to be in Acts 24 today, and leading up to this, uh, we saw a few weeks ago uh, when Paul was leaving Ephesus, he had that exchange with the elders. Remember where they had the tearful goodbyes? He was saying, I'm never going to see you guys again. And they were saying, but if you go to Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen. Don't go. And Paul's saying, no, I'm going to go, right? And he's on his way. Well, by the time we get to 24, Paul has arrived in Jerusalem. And what has happened when Paul arrived in Jerusalem is exactly what the people said was going to happen is it's going to be bad. Don't go, Paul. It's going to be bad. They're going to chain you up. They're going to take you and they're going to imprison you. And It's going to be bad. Don't go. Paul goes. And guess what? It was bad. He's in Jerusalem one week. One week he's in Jerusalem. After all these warnings. He's in the temple worshiping God. He's not starting problems. He's not causing any issues. He's just in, in the temple worshiping God when some guys from out of town walk by. And these are some of the guys that had been in Ephesus when that little incident in Ephesus happened with the silversmiths that Paul was in the middle of. And so they recognize Paul in the temple and they said, hey, there's the guy that was stirring up everybody in the next city over. Let's go grab the crowd. And so they get up and they make a scene out in front of the temple. If any of you guys ever visited the Middle East in here? Okay, not a lot of world travelers here. Okay, listen, if you go to the Middle East today and you go by a mosque and somebody grabs you and shakes you and said, this guy was saying he's going to burn the Quran, guess what they would do to you in the Middle East? You wouldn't make it out of there. They'd kill you before you got out of there. What happens to Paul is similar to that, only it's not a Quran and a mosque, it's the temple, he's at the temple, these guys that didn't like Paul go and start stirring the crowd up and they're saying, he defiled the temple, he's bringing Gentiles into the temple, this guy's ruining our, by the way, if you brought a Gentile into the temple, or you defiled the Jewish temple, it was like burning a Quran, they'd kill you for that, and legally, they could. So guess what's about to happen to Paul while he's just there trying to go to church one day? He gets drug out of the temple by this, this crowd. They're screaming and yelling, and they're, they're beating him, and they're going to kill him. And it causes such a scene that the Romans have to intervene. The Roman guard actually has to run out with, they were like the police, right? And they arrest Paul to protect him because they find out this crowd's trying to kill him. Now, funny thing, the Roman guard doesn't know Paul's a Roman citizen, so they actually do a bunch of illegal stuff in detaining him because as a citizen, he had certain rights, like you couldn't beat him, you couldn't flog him. Like there were certain things they couldn't do. They did, or they got close to doing with some of them. Um, Paul ends up, because of this crowd, having to be transported to Caesarea to face trial and he have to send 200 soldiers to protect him just to get him up there. And so by the time you get to Acts 24, man, there has been some mess that has happened up to this point. And what we're going to pick up in is Paul is now standing before Felix. This is the Roman governor. Guys, this was not uh, just a little local authority. This was a big deal to go in front of this guy. This would be like they've, they've escalated this trial where he's in front of a governor now. And so here's what happens 
when we get down to 24. Um, go ahead, Mike, and read Acts 24, 1 through 6. You've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have most of the scriptures on there that we're going to look at. But, Mike, go ahead and, uh, and read Acts 24 for us. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish leaders and the lawyer Tertullus to present their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. You have provided a long period of peace for us, Jews, and with foresight have enacted reforms for us. For all of this, Your Excellency, we are very grateful to you, but I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. We have, we have found this man to be a troublemaker who was constantly stirring up all riots among the Jews all over the world. He was a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. All right, thank you. <clears throat> so the, um, the early church here is, is going through some conflict with, with all the stuff that's happening. And here Paul is being presented to Felix by this uh, lawyer that is trying to get him in trouble legally. They're trying to get him executed. Uh, they're trying to stop the spread of what they saw as uh, a cult, which they call here, which, by the way, the early church was always called a cult by a, opponents or a sect. We see that throughout history. Uh, we see that uh, in many spiritual movements over the, over the years, guys, when, when people really started getting serious about faith, people start throwing that word around. Um, as the church grew and things were happening, there were con this contingent of worldly people that were opponents. Guys, I, I share this because in Acts, every week we look and there's amazing things happening in the book of Acts. There's amazing works of ministry happening in the book of Acts. There's God doing all this amazing stuff and all these people coming to know God. But then the undercurrent in the middle of all this really good stuff that's happening is there's all this bad stuff that's happening at the same time. And I got to tell you, as a church planter uh, that works with other church planters, and I hear a lot of stories about good things that are happening. Guys, we have a lot of stories about good things that are happening right here that we tell. But you want to know what is always going on behind the scenes that a lot of you guys don't know about? Crap. I'm serious. There is crisis, and there's people walking away from God, and there's uh, cases where people are getting mistreated or uh, people aren't acting right, or somebody's cheating on a spouse. Guys, there is always something bad going on. Always. Now, we talk about the good. We talk about the good, and we want to talk up the good, but I want you guys not to be ignorant. Guys, there is always bad going on here. In our church, there's always something. And it's never going to change. Now, I don't say that to take hope away. Goodness gracious, I don't. What do, what, do, what do we learn reading the Bible? We can deal with the crap. We can deal with the garbage. We can deal with the trouble. Why? Who wins? Who wins? Are you guys sure? Are you sure? Some of you don't sound very sure. I'm pretty sure he's going to win. 
But we're going to have to put up with some garbage between now and then. You guys realize we serve a God that died on a cross, right? You know he didn't like that. You know he sweat blood in a garden before that. You know, some of you in here, you are super lazy when it comes to doing anything hard. And you make excuses for the silliest stuff. And, man, I just, we serve a God who sweat blood before he went and died on a cross. And he did it anyway. When I read about Paul, man, I read about a guy who was so committed to the mission of Jesus that he's willing to be in chains to Romans and give up his life just so he can keep telling people about Jesus. Guys, he could have stopped and not gone and gotten his head chopped off. You think about that? Some of you guys are under the impression that Christianity is about you. And you come into a relationship with Jesus, and it's just about learning to be good. How do I be good this week? Guys, Jesus does not just want you to be good. Jesus wants you to be the person God created you to be. Jesus wants you to carry out the mission in the world that God created you to carry out in the world. It wasn't for you to sit around and learn how to be nice. Yeah, he's going to teach you, he's going to teach you how to be gentle. He's going to teach you how to be humble. He's going to teach you how to love. He's going to teach you how to be a good friend and a good parent and a good spouse. He's going to teach you all that stuff. But guys, it's not just about that. It is about impacting the world around you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not a, about a code of ethics. It's about a mission. It's the great commission, not the great suggestion. And that's what we see when we read the book of Acts. Is these guys on mission. Guys, it's not just about being good. It's how can I spend my life for the good of others. That's what it is. What's it going to take for me to respond faithfully during those moments in life when I don't want to think about others because of trouble. I want to think about me. How am I going to do that? Two truths, okay? Number one, if I'm going to follow Jesus faithfully in troubling times, I got to understand that if I stand for truth, troubles will come. I've got to understand if I stand for truth, troubles will come. Friendly reminder, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, Paul's Suffering was foretold by God way back in Acts 9. Whenever he comes to Christ, uh, this statement is made. Jesus replied, go, this man is the agent I've chosen to carry out my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's Paul. That's how he starts out. We're going to send this guy out in the world, and I'm going to show him he's going to suffer a lot. What happens to Paul? Man, he suffers a lot. By the time you get to our story in Acts 24, he's handicapped. He can't use his hands. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he walked funny. I guarantee you his back looked jacked up if he took his shirt off. Y'all ever, I've shown y'all that, uh, some of y'all in here, that photo from the 1800s of the slave that was beaten on his back. He got whipped twice, just two, two whippings, and it was enough to ruin this guy's back. Paul got more than that. And so I wonder what his back looked like at this point in the story. I'm telling you, this dude had marks on him. Like if he walked in at this period, Acts 24, if he walked in and everybody turned around and looked at him, he would, he would look like a handicapped man, I think, walking in. 
because of the beatings that he took because he was a Christian, because he was telling people about Jesus. Things were not going to be smooth sailing for Paul if he followed Jesus. You guys recognize that? His life would have been easier if he didn't follow Jesus. Are you looking to follow Jesus so that your life will be easier? That's not guaranteed. What is guaranteed is your life will be fuller, it will be richer, it will be the life that God intends for you to have. But it may not be easy. What it will be is it will be doable with God's help. And it will be meaningful, and it will be better than whatever you considered easy, I guarantee you. I'm willing to bet if we had been able to stop time right before that axe came down across Paul's neck <coughs> when he was in that Roman arena, he's not there yet, but he's about to get there, okay? And they're going to kill him. I bet if we had been able to stop time right before that sword came down and, and let Paul get up and said, Paul, would you do anything different? He might have some things to say. He might have some regrets. He might have some things he had done that were sinful in his past. But you want to know what I'll bet you he would not have changed is the way he went out. I'll bet you he would not have gone back and changed it where he wouldn't have ended up in that arena. Speculatory, right? Maybe wrong. We'll get to heaven and we can ask him. But I have a feeling he would not change that stuff because he knows the value of the example he set for us. Why would God call somebody to be a tank for Jesus? Hey, here's a guy who's going around destroying the church. I know, I'm going to go down from heaven because he's got a good heart and he's confused. I'm going to knock him off his donkey and blind him and teach him the right way. And then I'm going to make him a tank. And we're just going to send him out a, a Jesus tank. That's Paul. You can just start calling him the Jesus tank. Because he doesn't stop. He just keeps going. He doesn't stop. And I have a feeling if you ask the Jesus tank... Would you do it? I, I think he would just keep on being the tank. I really do. Because the example he set for us, guys, is that that's the standard we have to live up to. We serve a God who didn't want to die on a cross. He sweat blood saying he didn't want to die on a cross, but then he went and did it anyway. And then we have a guy like Paul. All these talents, all these gifts. He just lays himself out. Right? He had a specific mission. It involved a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. I don't think all of us are going to be exactly like Paul, but guys, Jesus says this about us. It says, uh, and this is anybody that's a disciple. <clears throat> John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, I have chosen you out of the world, and you don't belong to the world. That's why the world hates you. 
Remember what I told you. Servants aren't greater than their master. If the world harassed me, it'll harass you too. If it kept my word, it will keep yours also. The world will do all these things to you on account of my name because it doesn't know the one who sent me. Again, guys, the world, anybody uh, that doesn't share God's values, that doesn't value honoring God, that's the world, anybody. They're unmoored from the truth and they act accordingly. They believe in a different God uh, that isn't real or they don't believe in any God at all. And so they have a basis for truth, a false belief or an opinion, right? There's going to be a values clash where you have people who say, hey, this is truth from God and people who say, no, it's not. You're going to have a values clash. There's a false idea out there that, uh, have you guys ever heard people don't like churches because they need to act more like Jesus? Have you ever heard that? That criticism? Guys, Jesus was literally killed because people did not like him. The people of his day were so upset with what he was saying that they did not like it to the point that they killed him. He was not liked by his own people and he was not liked by everybody else either. That covers pretty much everybody. There were very few people who were Jesus fans of his day. But guys, we have to understand, uh, it, I don't ever want to be one of those uh, mean religious guys that goes on like college campuses with a bullhorn. You know what I'm talking about? Do they come to SIUE? Do they? They're real bad in Columbia. Um, but they come on campus and they scream at people and they are incendiary and they're mean. I don't want to be like that. But I also don't want to be afraid of, so afraid of offending someone that I'm unwilling to make anybody uncomfortable or I'm unwilling to talk about what I really believe. There's got to be a balance and we've got to be persuasive in a world that's hostile. Like, we got to remember, when we talk about the world, the world, we need to remember our job is we are to win as many of them as we can without giving in. It's okay to say amen. Uh, without giving in to, to, to immorality and changing. Like, there's got to be a balance, but we've got to be intentional and serious about that. Also, if I'm going uh, to follow Jesus faithfully, I need to understand trouble won't always work out the way I'd hoped. We see this in the life of Paul. So in Acts 24, uh, Paul presents his defense to Felix, the Roman governor. Felix's wife was a Jew. Uh, Felix actually enjoyed talking with Paul about God and theology, even though it kind of scared him. Felix was also a scumbag because Felix wanted a bribe and he thought Paul would give him one. And so he kept Paul locked up for two years just because he was waiting on a bribe. Do you think Paul saw that coming? Do you want to go sit in jail for two years? I don't. Do you want to sit in jail for two years because the guy who's in charge of letting you out is waiting on you to give him an illegal bribe? I don't. But you want to know what Paul did during that time? He was chained up to soldiers. Guess what those soldiers were chained to? They were chained to Paul. 
and he didn't waste that time, guys. He, he told them about Jesus. Uh, he told everybody who would come. He would tell them about Jesus. He tried to convince Felix and Drusilla about Jesus. He scared Felix when he started talking about the resurrection of the dead. Felix wanted to change the subject. But Paul tried. He really tried. Now, guys, if you were sitting in chains... If I were sitting in chains, sitting in jail, would I be thinking about evangelism? Would I be thinking about reaching the lost if I was sitting in chains, in jail? Would, would that be the stuff that's coming out of my mouth? Let me tell you about God. Man, I'm telling you, in my weaker moments, I just want to think about me when I'm hurting. I can get a little hungry and just want to think about me. Ask my wife. Hangry. Right? Paul is thinking about others. In Acts 24, 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. Now here's the scumbag Felix after he was waiting on a bribe. His, his uh, term of service as governor is up, and so there's another governor that's going to take his office. And so Felix is in there cleaning out his desk, his, his terms up, he's putting his pictures up, and his paperweight up, and oh, what do I do with this, and what do I do with that, and what do I do with Paul, and I'll just leave it all. And he just leaves. And then another governor comes in, and Paul's just like left in prison. His case is never even fixed. And so uh, since Felix wanted to grant favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Can you imagine this? Here's a trial that should have taken a couple of hours, and you'd been done but you're in jail for two years because somebody wants to grant a favor? You guys, you guys understand when trouble comes, we can pray to God. Do you think this was what Paul prayed for to God? To, to sit in prison for two years? I don't think this is what Paul prayed for. I have a feeling he was praying for his freedom this whole time. But it doesn't work out that way. What we don't see any indication of is Paul's attitude turning sour, or him turning inward. We don't see an indication of that. How do we face accusations and maintain example? This is another thing we see in the story is, is Paul is having uh, people come and make false accusations against him. They're making stuff up, trying to get him killed in court. They're, they're bringing charges that are serious enough that... Uh, execution could be a possibility. They broke the law in their handling of Paul, but what we see in his defense, let's just read it. Uh, first, he speaks respectfully. Uh, begin with wisdom and respect. If you want to maintain your example, I should begin with wisdom and respect. Um, this is how we see Paul speaking. In 2410, the governor motioned for Paul to speak. Paul responded, I know that you have been judge over this nation many years, so I'm pleased to present my case to you. Guys, real simple, he's polite in talking with this gentleman. He's not, uh, he's not bullheaded. He's not uh, being arrogant. He's being humble and polite in his talk to this outsider, this non-Christian. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's from Proverbs 15.1. Part of being wise is understanding that, guys, not every conflict is worth engaging in. 
Not everything is worth fighting over. Not everything is worth getting defensive over. In fact, most stuff isn't. But, but we can handle these conflicts in a godly way. And, and being gentle is, is synonymous with wisdom. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 16, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. This is how he coaches uh, the pairs that are going out uh, to do ministry. Uh, when we're interacting with the world at large, again, the world is those outside of a relationship with God who don't share the values that we share in honoring God. Uh, as we're interacting with people who are in the world, we need to remember our job is to persuade those in the world. It's not to make enemies, guys. It's not to go out and make everybody mad at us on purpose. We're going to do it all just fine without trying. Just, just by seriously, by believing the truth and trying to honor God with your life. There's going to be people that don't like that because they don't believe what we believe about God. They think we're wrong about that stuff. Uh, we need to remember our job is to win them and persuade them. We're not going to win all of them, but we're going to win some of them. And it's worth it for the sum, for whoever will respond, right? Uh, to face accusations while maintaining my good example, I also must defend myself in the way of Jesus without attacking others. I must defend myself in the way of Jesus without attacking others. Um, it's not always wise to defend yourself. Let me just say this, okay? It's not always wise to defend yourself. What did Jesus do when he was accused? I cannot think of a time where he really defended himself ever. Did Jesus ever defend himself? I can't think of it, okay? But, and, and there's also times where Paul is accused and he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't, he doesn't press the issue. But here, we see him defending himself and making a defense. We see in other places we're called to be prepared to make a defense, Okay? So this honestly takes some wisdom. Uh, there are some situations where uh, if someone is absolutely just not going to listen, you know, if they're what the Bible would describe as a fool, uh, don't waste your time. Don't, don't cast your pearls before swine, as Jesus says, um, if somebody's just not going to listen. But you don't know that until you give it a shot at least once. Okay, And we are called to, um, to speak up when wise. And so some of this is a judgment call, okay? Some of this is just a judgment call on when we should do this and when we should be quiet. But I will tell you, I think Paul in, in here was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Acts 24. Um, Jesus actually says, this isn't on your notes, but Luke 12, 11, and 12 Jesus says, when you're brought to trial in synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. That's what Jesus said to the 12. Here, Paul is going to find himself in a situation where he's before a court, and I believe God's going to give him the words that he needs to say. And so here, what we're going to read in 10 through 14 of Acts 24, this is Paul speaking before a court to make a defense I believe this is, uh, this is God-inspired, what he says right here. He says, So I'll gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. 
My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they can't prove to you the charges they're now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect or cult. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Okay? Now, you read that, and that's pretty straightforward. But there's stuff that Paul doesn't say that's really telling here. Okay? Paul does not bring up the fact that he was beaten by these Jews. He could have brought that up. That was illegal. He does not bring up the fact that he was illegally arrested by Roman authorities as a Roman citizen. That was something else he could have brought up. He doesn't bring up the fact that the Roman authorities were going to flog him without a trial. He could have gotten them in bad trouble. He doesn't even bring it up, right? He doesn't bring any of this stuff up. He just presents a pretty straightforward case, but guys, he doesn't even cite all the evidence that would have gotten those other people in trouble. Now, when all this is done, how do you think those people that Paul could have gotten in really bad trouble might have felt about Paul? when he didn't get him in trouble. Now, they're still his enemy, but do you think maybe they would maybe listen to maybe some of what he had to say since he didn't have them thrown in jail? Guys, do you know what Paul did during this time in Felix? You know, I mentioned he was chained to those guards. Do you know how many people he led to Christ during those two years in Rome? It was a lot. It was a lot of soldiers. In fact, word got out about Jesus that it went around the whole, the whole Roman guard in, in Rome around this time. You guys know, like, Christianity turned that whole country upside down within a couple hundred years. And it was largely due to the influence of this guy during this time. Paul kept the main thing the main thing. In 1 Peter 3, Peter says, Honor Christ as Lord. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. This is uh, for all of us. This wasn't written to Paul. Okay, this was written to the church at large. This is for us. We should be prepared to give a defense. We should be prepared to give an answer. That's what the Bible and, and what Peter is calling us to do here. We should be prepared to do this. But we need to do it with gentleness and respect. We do not need more religious jerks in the world. We don't need more people with bullhorns going out and screaming at college kids about how they're going to hell. We don't need more people showing up at the Beale Street Music Fest in Memphis holding up signs that God hates fags. Like, we don't need more of that stuff. The world does not need more garbage like that. The world needs people that are going to love people. But we're going to love them and we're going to tell them the truth. It doesn't mean you need to be mean about it or a jerk. It doesn't mean you need to look down your nose when somebody disagrees with you. It doesn't mean you need to engage in every argument on social media. Like, just use some wisdom and tact and try to make friends with people, and try to persuade people. And if they're not interested, okay. Go find somebody that is. It's really that simple. And you just go through life 
trying to love people and teach people about Jesus. And if they're not interested, move on until you find somebody that is. That's what Paul did. And there's going to be trouble, but you're going to be okay. What's the worst that could happen? Somebody kill you? Where do you get to go? Who wins? You win, right? When you serve the God of the universe who's in charge of everything, you have exactly nothing to be worried about. Nothing. He's got pretty much everything covered. You agree? You guys sounded more sure that time. Good. Uh, I know, lastly, guys, or excuse me, almost, almost lastly, I know that my defense is not the end game. The gospel is. Do this one and one more. I know that my defense is not the end game. The gospel is. Guys, it's not about me. Paul is clear here. It's not about him. Uh, in Acts 24, 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ. Paul could have been asking Felix, when am I getting out? When am I getting out? But he just goes and he speaks with him. He puts up with him. And this is Paul's attitude while he's in change in Philippians 1. This was written during this time. The letter to the Philippians was written during this time. And he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. This is Paul's attitude. How would you be thinking if you were sitting in jail and they wouldn't let you out? What would your attitude be like? Paul had a good one. What has happened to me has helped spread the good news. As a result, it's become clear to all the soldiers who guard the emperor and to everyone else that I am in prison because of Christ. So through my being in prison, the Lord has given most of our brothers and sisters confidence to speak God's word more boldly and fearlessly than ever. What did Paul's example do? Look at that scripture, guys. What did Paul's example do? What effect did it have on other people? What do you see? God called Paul to be a tank for Jesus in the first century. What did the tank inspire others to do? He inspired a bunch of other tanks. And that's what you see, man. You see a bunch of people just going to their deaths in the first century for Jesus Christ. And people are looking and they're like, are you kidding me? They're willing to die for this? You kidding me? This is real? You mean when we die, we get to go be with him? Are you serious? And they went and lived this way, guys. It wasn't about being good. Like that wasn't the end result is learning some morals. Guys, we are on a mission. The kingdom of God is about building the kingdom of God and winning lost people out of a hurting, lost world. It's not about having a social club that has potluck sometimes. That's not the church. 
The church is a tank. The church takes back the darkness. It's like light in the darkness and we win. That's the church. And we need to live like it. Guys, this is why we're planting churches. We're planting churches because there's lost people in the world that God wants to reach. Church plants typically reach more lost people than churches that have been around a long time. We're not planting churches to plant churches. We're planting churches to make disciples. Because those disciples are going to have awesome lives and they're going to help other people have awesome lives. And that doesn't mean trouble free. It just means that God's going to equip you to deal with the trouble. That's awesome. Because we're going to have a lot of it in this life. You need to be equipped right. Otherwise, you're going to try to find answers that are in the wrong places and get yourself into trouble. But listen. One last point here. Paul utilizes freedoms that are available to him. And this is the last point. I utilize all freedoms granted to me in order to further the gospel. Paul's got freedoms available to him as a Roman citizen that weren't available to non-Roman citizens. Sometimes as, as we're trying to navigate, like how do we relate to culture? How do we relate when things like our student organization get, gets kicked off of Lindenwood for sharing faith? Like, do we take that to the courts and fight that because we would win? Or do we want to make that a non-issue? You know, like we're going to face more stuff as we plant more churches, guys, and become more uh, influential. We're going to face more heat, okay? Uh, just expect it if, if it's going to happen. If we're making an impact, we're going to have haters. That's just, that's the life, right? If we are not making an impact, probably not going to be anybody bad talking about us. But the more we grow and the more we plant churches, guys, there's going to be more and more people just talking crap about us and how, what terrible things we're doing, right? Just expect it. It's going to happen. Um, we need to be prepared to utilize freedoms if it comes to that. Uh, as a Roman citizen, Paul was able to leverage some things to his advantage here. Uh, he was able to get protection, military protection, when 40 Jews, which we didn't read, but it's kind of funny, 40 Jews at one time made a vow not to eat or to drink until they had killed Paul. Forty grown men, right? And so uh, Paul had to, <laughs> they, they found out about, the, Paul's nephew actually heard them talking, plotting to kill him on the road. And so Paul's nephew ran and told Paul, Paul went and told the Romans. And so the Romans, because there was a group of 40 Jews, Jewish men who were going to come kill him, sent 200 soldiers with him to transport him to Caesarea. Now, for all the pacifists in the room, I'm sorry, if the Jews had attacked Paul, the Romans would have used their weapons to defend Paul. Paul employed those Romans to defend him. That makes pacifism fall apart for me. Um, but uh, he used that freedom. Then, when he gets to the court system... Uh, the whole deal with Felix happened where Felix is a scumbag and he's waiting on a bribe and then Paul doesn't give him the bribe and so then they transfer it to Festus. Festus is an even bigger scumbag than Felix and Paul knows it. And so Paul knows if Festus is in charge of his case, he's dead. 
because Festus is just going to give the Jews whatever they want, and the Jews wanted Paul dead. So Paul appeals to the higher court, above Festus. Guess who was above Festus? Caesar. Paul appeals his court case to Caesar. He was only able to do that because he was a Roman citizen. If he had not been a Roman citizen, this would not have been something that would have happened. But as a result of this, Paul leverages the legal system. As a result of this, the Apostle Paul, the tank for Jesus, is going to get to go and share the gospel with the most influential people in the whole Roman Empire. He's going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Caesar. And guess what Caesar's going to do? Caesar's going to chop off his head. That's what's going to happen. That's how Paul's story ends. Or does it? Where did Paul go after his head got chopped off? Who do you get to meet someday if you go to heaven? See, that wasn't the end of Paul's story. But there's a contingent of people present then, and there's a contingent of people present now who would say that was the end of Paul's story. Because what they believe about God and what they believe about Jesus is different than what I believe or maybe what you believe. That's the world. Guys, there will inevitably be conflicts because of this. We have got to be people who cannot be afraid of the conflict. And to be perfectly honest, guys, we have got to love the world more than we love ourselves. And if we learn to do that, guys, if we learn to be faithful, if we learn to make our lives about others, we get to be Christ-like and we get to have a life that Jesus intended us to have. We get to have a mission and a purpose. We get to learn how to be the people that God always meant for us to be. But I got to tell you guys, it starts with one decision. And that decision is the decision to honor God with your life. And that is a decision nobody, nobody can make for you. You have to make this decision for yourself. Now, we started this church, and Jesus actually set the whole idea of church up specifically to help people like you, if that's where you are today. If you're struggling with how, how do I have a relationship with God, how do I connect with God, welcome to the crossings. We are glad you are here. God intends for every one of us to connect with another person that's further down the road than we are so that they can help us grow and develop. That is something we call discipling. Uh, Jesus, uh, before he left earth, commanded his uh, church to go out and make disciples of all nations. He said to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you teach them to obey everything. And I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. Our job, the, the whole purpose of the church, is for us to be in relationship with God and one another where we are functioning to help each other get closer to him. And God has certain people that he's called to be leaders in the church, to equip everybody. But the whole point is for the whole church to be on mission together, in life together, where we're being the people that God has created us to be, doing the things that God has created us to do. That is the whole purpose of the whole thing. 
If you're here today and you want to know what your next step could be, uh, everybody, there's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. If you don't mind, pull that out. It's called a communication card. It says the Crossings Church on one side. On the other side, it's got a spot for you to fill out some information. If you're wondering what your next step can be in your walk with God, I want to invite you to fill that card out. And if you're interested in a relationship, indicate on there that you'd like a personal Bible study. Uh, now, what that is, is it's basically a Bible conversation where you get together with the person that brought you to church or uh, somebody that you know, you're, you're friends with or will pair you with somebody if you haven't met anybody yet. But you get together and you open up the Bible and you'll read it and you say, hey, what do you, how does this apply to my life? And so it's very personal in that as you're looking and saying, okay, here's, here's what God's word says. Uh, am I doing this or did I know this or am I applying this? And it's just a conversation. And you look uh, pretty in depth at some different concepts but it's a way for you to learn explicitly what God says about how you can connect with him. So a lot of our job is, is we just want you to see what God says. And then you can decide for yourself. But we would love to help you. Um, guys, we have a lot of resources here for other life issues. Maybe you're not just thinking about a relationship with God. Maybe you're really struggling with an addiction. Uh, maybe you're struggling with pornography. Maybe you're struggling with substance abuse. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage or with your finances. Um, maybe you need counseling for something. Guys, we have a large contingent uh, of people here who struggled with childhood sexual abuse and trauma, and we've got resources for that. We've got resources uh, for divorce care. We've got resources uh, for people going through all kinds of uh, traumatic stuff uh, or anger or unforgiveness. If you're struggling, guys, I want you to know you're in a safe place. Nobody's going to look down on you. For struggling because to be honest most people in here are first generation Christians a lot of this didn't come from other churches and so uh, we, we know what it, it is to struggle like we just do we're we don't consider ourselves good people if you know what I mean by that uh, we, we're rough around the edges and so if you're struggling here today you're, you're not gonna have anybody here that's gonna look down on you I'll just let you know you're in a safe place okay so don't worry we keep these confidential uh, but I do want to encourage you to respond because, guys, you can come to church all the time. But until you really start to connect with other people in the church, um, you're not going to experience the transformation that God has in store for you because you haven't had the experience of church as God set it up, to be perfectly frank. When we do church the way God says to do it in the Bible, the way it's set up, where we're relationally connected, and there's fellowship and confession and all that stuff. Totally different kind of experience, right? So I want to encourage you to connect. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song after my prayer. During that song, uh, you'll have time to fill that card out, and then we'll sing a second song and pass some baskets, and you can drop your card in that basket. So I do want to encourage you to respond. Let me pray, and then we are going to be done today. Uh, God, I want to thank you for bringing us together today. Uh, thank you for all the folks that are here. Thank you for the visitors that we had come in today. I pray, God, um, if there's anybody here that is thinking about a relationship with you and they're, they've got that card in their hands right now and they're just wondering what to do with it, I just pray you prompt them to respond. Father, if they haven't studied the Bible yet, I pray you prompt them to request a Bible study so that we can open the scriptures with them. I pray that everybody here know that they're loved by you. 
Nobody here is special in that you love everybody except for them. There's nobody that special. God, help us to know we are loved by you. We are cared for by you. And not only that, you love and care for the person beside us as well. And you want to use us to be a blessing to others, Lord. Help us to do that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.